Hey guys, welcome back to Slumber Party Cinema Club. It's been a minute. Yeah, we did take a little bit of a break. We yeah. spent the time well. Yeah, we um we got to see a concert. Again. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? Spoiler alert for next episode. You're going to hear us talking a lot about Riot Fest. Yeah. I, well, Kate goes to concerts all the time. Me, not quite as frequently, but I've just, all of my concerts have sort of been at the end of the summer here. Yeah, actually, I was reading an article about just the way that live music has exploded this year. Like more concerts happened in 2022 than happened in 2019, mostly because there are a lot of bands that were rescheduling their tours. And yeah. this is where it fell or they had done a lot of music. Like during the pandemic, they put, you know, created an album that came out in 2021. So this was the, the year that they toured. So, but at the same time, I would guess that concert goers are also becoming more picky about which shows they're going to and where they're spending their money because concert tickets Tickets are so goddamn expensive. Yeah. We saw uh, Florence of the Machine, by the way. I don't know if we said that. We did not. We didn't even introduce ourselves. So, hey, I'm Kate. I'm Katie. And this is Slumber Party Cinema Club. So, welcome to another episode. We are recording this. We we had a bit of a week. Like Katie said, we saw Florence of the Machine. And there's nothing quite like spending a Wednesday night doing Blood Moon Witch things out on uh, Northerly Island in Chicago. Yeah. That was a nice little break from the cacophony of drama and happenings. And I don't know, as a chronically online person whose Twitter fast is not going very well, I spent a lot of time on the internet this week just observing mostly. Yeah, same. And like outside of, you know, all the obvious shit that was going on with like the queen dying and the don't worry darling press tour and everything else I also as a wrestling fan was having a lot of uh, a a hell of a week because there was a lot of drama in wrestling land which I won't get into because I think there's maybe no one else listening to this podcast aside from my boyfriend who's into wrestling (laughs) (laughs) you'd be surprised I know uh, who we follow on our Twitter account and I am very up to date on the AEW drama because of, of people like uh, Myra who are, are keeping me updated. So yeah, I know. My favorite thing this week has been uh, watching the Elon Musk fanboys all going after Neil Gaiman for ruining Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, and that's watching, right. Yeah, and watching Neil Gaiman handle it just so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. People really need to read more. Yeah, to, and to be clear, just for anybody who doesn't know, Neil Gaiman has nothing to do with the current Lord of the Rings show that's out. If if you know if you know nothing else about the show or what's going on, it's that Neil Gaiman has nothing to do with the show. So it's insane that anyone is blaming him for anything mm-hmm. regarding Lord of the Rings. Yeah, exactly. I have not watched any of the new Lord of the Rings show, by the way. We've watched the first two episodes so far because they're doing they're releasing them week by week. So it's not like a whole binge watch. I like it. I don't think it's a bad show. It's definitely, definitely different than the Peter Jackson movies. I don't think I keep saying I don't think it has like the same whimsy as the movies. It has like something. It's like if you try to find the middle between like Peter Jackson's on screen type of fantasy and like Game of Thrones. Okay, like, that makes sense. Like it's not super dark, but it's not super lighthearted the way that Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movie tend tend to be tend to skew. But I'm enjoying yeah. it. I'm into the story. I. I'm not so much of a, as big of a fan where I've ever read. I always fuck up the name of this. The Similarian. 
The Cimmerillion? Cimmerillion. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've never read any of that book. And I think that's where most of this story is coming from. So all surprises for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I watched all the movies in college multiple times in some some cases because they were just nice to have on and my roommate was really into them so I mean like I, I enjoyed them with the exception of oh hey let's make the big bad in the very end a giant spider that really pissed me off we were doing fine until then but of course I also just like weep at the end of the third movie I have not dug into it any more than that I think I saw The Hobbit as a walking play in a forest one time at the Morton Arboretum they performed The Hobbit like a play yeah so you would stop like you would walk with the actors you would stop they would do a scene in like a clearing of the forest and then you continue hiking with the actors and they'd stop and do another scene at like the meadow and that was really really cool but I really I I just my attention span for long and drawn out massively world-built stories has dwindled so much since I was a kid (laughs) I love Lord of the Rings the movies I did try to read the books uh, when I was in high school, but I, I wasn't really enjoying it. I might enjoy it more if I went back and read them now, but then I, I wasn't really into it, but I loved the movies. And one of the things that pulled me into the movie right away, which I've shared with you before, I don't use my actual last name on this podcast. I prefer to use my um, pen name, but my actual last name, for those of you listening who do know it, it is part of the Lord of Rings. It's the name of a place near the Shire. And that is a point of pride for me that I love to brag about. <laughs> I can get that. I can dig that. <laughs> I also was like so fucking in love with Orlando Bloom. Legolas could get it. <laughs> For sure. So Lord of the Rings, I'm, I'm working the connections here. You know me. I like to, to find my my connections, even if it's just a, a spider web of a string. But uh, we're talking Lord of the Rings, right? And uh, we also had a pretty massive thing happen in the world of monarchy uh, this Thursday. Yeah. We, we had the passing of QE2, Queen Elizabeth II. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm a huge fan of the crown. Uh, however, I do not look at it like it is fact. I, like I rely the show. on actual history books for that the crown yeah the show not the the monarchy itself i have many different feelings about the monarchy itself more went out for princess die and so for me it was it was sort of a moment where i had to sit and be like all right i understand there are a lot of people who are very upset about this because this is you know a major part of their lives especially older people who have had the same queen for 50 years. I kind of get mm-hmm. that. However, I sat in like this numbness where it was like, well, I don't really feel like I have an opinion or I need to share anything right now at this moment. Yeah, I'm not British or English or Canadian or Australian or, you know. Or name any of the uh, countries African, apart from the, yeah, yeah, apart from the, the 22 <laughs> that the UK never uh, invaded in history. Yeah. There's only 22 countries in the world that have not had British invasion happen. Shit. So like 22 out of like, what, 200? Yeah. God. And one of them is the Vatican City, which makes me laugh my ass off. Oh, my God. I mean, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I, I've i always been like really fascinated from by the royals from like I guess an outsider perspective I have always been a fan of this uh fashion gossip blog called go fuck yourself the two women who write the blog and lead the website are amazingly funny and sarcastic and witty and great I 
suggest everyone checks it out. But they sort of have like a crazy fascination with the Royals, which sort of uh, like I adapted just because I read the website. So or I read the website so often, but I'm not like, oh, I'm so sad. The queen died like colonialism kind of sucks and they're not great. And like her son was a pedophile and they tried to cover it up. And like a lot of shitty stuff is done by the royal family in the yeah. name of sort of maintaining this reputation yeah it's someone posted they're like this is you know everyone who's celebrating it would be like if obama died and you blamed him for vietnam and someone pointed out that the queen was 13 years into her reign while uh death squads were still in existence in in ireland so you know there's that's the problem with a long legacy there's a lot of room for awful shit so yeah i mean yeah there's i i i tend to err on the side of especially my my Black friends, my immigrant friends who talk about uh, Queen Elizabeth being a beacon of colonization um, rather than a beacon of duty and leadership. Although it, it could be said the same thing, except, you know, if you've got a duty to call you know, colonialism, eh, it's not that great. So I, I, I tend to err on the side. I'm, I'm giving them their space to talk and I will amplify as needed. But um, yeah, I, I much rather share opinions on things like the movie we are going to talk about today. Yeah, um, which depicts which, a much better, more benevolent uh, royal family. Well, that we know of. <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, we didn't see any giant museums in Genovia with stolen artifacts. Um, from around the world but they could exist we just don't know if you haven't gotten it yet or if you didn't see the episode title today we are talking about princess diaries made in 2001 directed by gary marshall uh, we've talked about Ooh. sister penny marshall on here quite a bit we will be talking about gary marshall later uh in a couple of weeks because i know we're going to be talking about hocus pocus um, oh, so get used to hear us hearing us say the the marshall name quite often but yeah so uh princess diaries came out in 2001 i'm trying to remember i think it came out during the summer but i could be wrong yeah it came out two days after my birthday it came out on july 29th and this is a movie that gave us uh anne hathaway's career essentially she started there um Mm -hmm. it was her first role she was only 17 and then of course we also got um julie andrews returning to the screen in a very regal way you know that that befits her her career so i loved this movie i also read the books or at least the first four i think i phased out of them by the time i finished the fourth book i was obsessed with reading them because i felt like such a grown-up at 11 reading the princess diaries book <laughs> because she talks about things in the book that are very 16 17 18 year old kind of things um, and uh i loved the movie too i remember we watched it on movie day in fifth grade that was how i saw it the first time yeah i was um I was a freshman in high school when this came out and uh definitely loved it definitely it was an okay movie that I could watch with my church friends so that was Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was a good thing the one thing that I really remember thinking was so cool when I first saw this movie was Mia's house like they live in sort of that like lofted old firehouse Mm -hmm. in like San Francisco and it was so fucking cool and I was like I want to live in this like giant artist studio where my bedroom is like an attic and I have to take a fire pole to get up and down (laughs) (laughs) well and funny enough um I read a thing Gary Marshall admitted uh that most of the crew and cast took a turn riding the fire pole down oh yeah you gotta yeah 
exactly. So yeah. Um, and, and she has like the loft or the tower. That's what she calls it. The tower, um, that she can crawl up into, uh, for above, above her bedroom. And yeah, she, definitely, um, teenage dream house goals on that. Yeah, for sure. Also in this movie, um, obviously we all know the plot, but just as a refresher, so Mia, which is the main character, Mia Thermopolis played by Anne Hathaway, finds out that since her father has died and this is a man that she did not really know at all, didn't know anything about, she finds out that he was actually a king. And now that he has passed away, she finds out that she's a princess, which sort of seems like the American teen dream to find out that you are a real life princess as someone who grew up on like Disney movies. So what like, Kate, if you were, because she's what, like 15 or 16 in this movie? If you found yeah, out, I believe she's 16. Yep. So she did not like that she found out that she was a princess. She was not stoked at all. So Kate, if you found out, if you were like 15 or 16 and you found out that you were princess of a country, would you be super excited about that or super not excited? Like get into your mindset as a, like a teenager, not like how we are now in our 30s where we fucking know better. <laughs> um yeah I think I would look at it like this has to be a huge fucking mistake (laughs) kind of the same way that we like trained ourselves to think of it when the weirdo came up to us at the mall and said oh my god you could be a model here's a flyer meet me at my office yeah I would be looking at it probably at 15 16 going yeah right yeah no (laughs) yeah look I'm not saying that I didn't go to like a Barbizon school of modeling meeting when I was 13 but (laughs) (laughs) I did. It's a scam. We will have to talk about that too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I really gravitated toward the movie, not because of the whole, Oh, she's a princess kind of thing, but just because her life seems so freaking cool. Even beforehand. Like I know they paint her as a loser with the frizzy hair, which is the frizzy hair erasure, but also like even before that, like she has a best friend whose older brother is hot and in a band. And I know we're going to talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also drives a Mustang convertible, which was my dream car when I was that age. Yeah. And she lives in that really cool house and she goes to a high school where all the buildings are outside, which when you grow up in the Midwest is complete fairy tale material. So her life, even before being told she's a princess, is a complete fairy tale to 15 to 16 year old Kate. Yeah. And like she's she rock climbs and works at like a rock climbing gym and does yoga. Like she's a very interesting person for like a teenager. (laughs) Yeah. And her best friend is Lily Moskowitz, who is like trying to save the oceans and stands up for her in class. And And has like, has a cable access show. Like that's, you know, yeah, that, and oh my God, for like, Having a cable access show, it's not like you could just hop on YouTube or, you know, hop on Spotify and anybody can make a show or a podcast. Like, that's some hard shit, like, Mm -hmm. to get hooked up with. I know. So, yeah. So, like, I really, I I think maybe that's one of the things I appreciate appreciate about the movie is that one of the things is that she's not excited to be a princess. She kind of, I think there is, like, the, oh, you got to be kidding me. And then also... I like the idea that she is not jumping at it because she's such a loser. She's like, oh, this is my way out. Like her life is pretty freaking awesome, even if she's not popular at school. And, you know, Josh isn't going to, you know, 
paying attention to her and stuff and all that. Um, you know, that I think that I like it because she does have a pretty awesome life on its own and the princess thing just sort of comes in and circumvents it. And so she has to make that decision to step into a duty role rather than a, oh my God, I get to wear fabulous clothes and look great and go to all these parties. Of course, I'm going to do this. It's very much more focused on the duty of being a leader. Yeah. And like, I think throughout the movie, if I sort of like remember it well, it's not really like she necessarily thinks that she needs to change herself in order to be more accepted, like by kids at her school or by the popular kids or whatever. Like, you know, her crush at the beginning of the movie is Eric Von Dutton, who's like the popular boy at school. Josh um, Bryant, because yeah. there has never been a more chatty name than Josh Bryant. <laughs> you never, never trust anyone with two first names for like a last name. Like if they're, you know what I'm saying? Like Brian yep. is still a first name. Yep. Same like Jake Ryan and 16 candles. I know he is like the, you know, hero or whatever, but he does some shady shit that we now reflect upon and, you know, are wise to, but anyways, or, or, or Nate Jacobs. I know Jacobs is a pluralized first name, but Nate Jacobs in the euphoria series. I'll count it. I, I was about yeah. to say, was that someone in Gossip Girl? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I think that was Ch- uh, Chuck Bass. But anyway. Um, Dan Humphrey. I, Humphrey I, can be a first name. There you go. Now, I, I do want to just, uh, a little aside, I learned today that Eric Von Detten, um, apart from being in one of my favorite Disney original movies, uh, Brink, Brink, was also uh, the voice of Sid, the deranged child next door who keeps blowing up toys. In toy yeah, I had forgotten about that. But yeah, she like, she doesn't necessarily want to change herself to get Josh slash Eric Von Detten to notice her like she ultimately wants him to notice her for who she is mm-hmm. which I think is cool. as opposed to as opposed to you know Lana Thomas two first names played by Mandy Moore who is a sweetheart in real life from what I've heard but uh plays a real good vicious mean girl yeah I always say like you can't play a good mean girl on screen unless you're like a really nice person in real life interesting like, theory Yeah. Well, because like my theory is always like if you're a mean girl or like a mean person in real life, like you don't necessarily like understand like the subversive ways that like mean people are mean. You just think it's normal. Oh, okay. But yeah, I don't know. But this is this is my theory. Um, I haven't tested it a lot, but it seems to hold true, I think. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to tell when you don't know the actors who are playing these characters. Like I've heard that Jacob Elordi is actually kind of a sweetheart, but I also know that I've only ever seen him in Euphoria, and he was an asshole. He's like a criminal level bad person in that show. I'm trying to think of who that is because I haven't watched a lot of Euphoria. He's the football player. He's like the the jock who does terrible, terrible things. Oh, okay, until the kind of end but it doesn't redeem him anyway season two spoilers euphoria is a hot garbage mess of a show now but season one was great (laughs) i do want to talk a little bit about how much i love the fact julie andrews was in here originally they were looking at helen mirren but the fact that they brought in julie andrews to be in kind of what was like this generation's take and i almost want to say our improvement upon the my fair lady story yeah i love that they got julie andrews to be in this because she was like, I think she was the original Eliza Doolittle on Broadway with Rex Harrison. Yes, so you're correct. That, yeah, so that that flip 
and of course, just the fact that she is such a queen in real life. Um, I love that she's in this and plays such a good, not quite grandmother, but there's like such an intricacy because like towards the beginning of the the story, you know that her husband is has died like maybe a year before. And I, maybe it's the second movie where she goes into the fact that it was an arranged marriage and they learned to love each other through it. But he meant so much to her, you know, that when he died, it really, really hit her hard. Like any spouse losing a spouse. So I really like the fact you see her character is very reserved and uptight and sort of still in that mourning phase in the beginning of the movie. And as she works with Mia to bring her into this this new world with these new behaviors and new expectations you see her open up and loosen up a little bit yeah you see her learn how to become a grandmother exactly which i mean like they talk about how you know mia's not been close with her dad or her grandparents on that side so you know it makes sense that if if Queen Clarice has not had any contact with any grandchildren, and we assume that Mia is the only grandchild, that there is a gap that she is bridging. And uh, oh, oh, one bit of trivia that I wanted to go back to, because you brought up Julia Andrews being the original Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady on Broadway. So, and probably most people listening, I would say, know that Audrey Hepburn was Eliza in the movie version next to Mm -hmm. Rex Harrison in the same role that he played on Broadway. Mm-hmm. One of the big reasons that Julia Andrews wasn't in the movie version was because she turned it down to do Mary Poppins. Really? Yeah. I always heard that it was because Rex Harrison was a complete asshole. No, that wasn't like the big reason. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. I'm kind of glad it worked out that way. Yeah. Uh, it And it worked out too because like, I think she got nominated for Mary Poppins for like best actress but I think Audrey didn't get any nominations for My Fair Lady and stuff like that so it was sort of yeah a weird kind of luck of the draw on her choices like it kind of benefited her yeah I'm gonna go back on that one because I am pretty confident that um Audrey Hepburn actually did get a nomination for oh, yeah, Best maybe, Actress. Maybe she got nominated, but she didn't win because I think Julie Andrews won. I I rewatched my. No, Lady. you're you're right. She oh, did okay. not get nominated. Okay, I I remember because how the hell did she not get nominated? <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. No, because I think like during the springtime, I rewatched My Fair Lady because it was just on Netflix. And I was like, I haven't seen this in forever. Mm-hmm. And then I was reading, you know, just doing what we do, reading trivia while I'm watching the movie. She was up for a Golden Globe, but she did not get up for uh, um, Oscar, gotcha. which is a damn shame. Oh, yeah. I like I also found out that she didn't. You know, maybe we'll do an episode on My Fair Lady one day. Please. I love that movie. I love that movie, too. And I was also, when I was rewatching it, I was reading all these articles about the gay subtext within the movie and the play. So, yeah, we could go into it. But Okay, um, let's do it. No, I also remember that I never knew that Audrey Hepburn didn't do the singing in the movie. Like, she did sing, but the... That would be Marnie Nixon. Yeah, the final... Mm -hmm. The final, like what we hear in the movie was not her voice. Right. That was actually, uh, she was dubbed by Marnie Nixon. And you'll hear me talk about Marnie quite a bit because she dubbed all of the great actress um, voices in those movies. She dubbed for uh, Natalie Wood in West Side Story. She also dubbed for Deborah Kerr in The King and I. And then later on, you and I know her as the voice of Grandma Fa in Mulan. <gasps> oh, 
love it. I love Mulan. We'll be talking about Mulan too. But yes, yeah, <laughs> we're coming for you, Mulan. We're coming for all of these, especially after the Little Mermaid trailer just dropped with Hallie Bailey. It looks so good. Oh yeah, I I we watched that last night. Gave me goosebumps. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but back to the Princess Diaries at hand. Another credit that we might want to discuss is the fact that this was produced by the one and only Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. And that not only did she produce the first one, but she also produced Princess Diaries two, which was co-written by Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, Shondaland, pre-Shondaland, pre-Shondaland. And I know that we, you know, we could probably do a full episode on Princess Diaries two separately. But if we want to bring in more uh, current events from this past week, uh, Princess Diaries two was Chris Pine's first movie. Yeah, bless his heart. He looks like he wants to be anywhere else other than on this like press junket. <laughs> and who can blame him? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Don't Worry, Darling. Like, I thought it looks like a cool movie. It reminds me of uh, an episode of Twilight Zone a little bit, which I feel like we might have talked about before. Um, Yeah, before it all got weird. Yeah. (laughs) Before the drama around the movie usurped the drama in the movie. Yeah, but I, I've i heard mixed reviews. Uh, yeah, I've, I have seen that the critics who have seen it at um, and the people who have seen it at the film fest are saying it is not that great, which I think makes the drama around it even funnier. Yeah, for sure. Rain Wilson announced that he's going to start making a documentary called Worry Darling, which is the story of the making of Don't Worry Darling. <laughs> Please worry, darling. <laughs> but yeah, so Chris Pine uh, got his start uh in the princess diaries 2 uh princess diaries 2 also has uh another debut for an actor that we have not seen in a while and i miss her dearly uh abigail breslin she plays the tiny little girl in the village who mia takes her hand and walks her through the parade yeah when she's like walking with all the orphans I forgot that that was her. I swear to God, I thought you were going to say Raven Simone. (laughs) Well, Raven Simone, I mean, like she had her start way, way earlier than that. Yeah. And even, even, even the principal cast. I mean, so Anne Hathaway's first role ever was Princess Diaries. Apparently she was up for it against a couple of heavy hitters during the rehearsal or during the, the auditions. She actually fell off her chair. And that was when they automatically handed her the role. (laughs) Amazing. You love a story like that. You gotta love a story like that. And now I think we have one of, I, I really like Anne Hathaway. I know that there was a huge white girl uprising against her at some point. For some reason, we all decided we had to hate her. And I just, I don't understand what the reason was behind that. I think she is a lovely person and I feel bad that she has had to go through that and that she's had to go through things like having a boyfriend who is an, an extortionist, you know. Yeah, I was just about to say, I kind of remember when everyone was like, ugh. Anne Hathaway, she's so annoying. And I was kind of just like, she's fine. It was, I think it was the aftermath of Les Mis because everyone just got tired of hearing about her and her performance in Les Mis, which was great. It was. But yeah, I think that was more the media and the press pushing her than her, she herself doing things that were wrong. Now, maybe we're missing something. Maybe she did something really stupid or said something awful in an interview, in which case, please let us know over Twitter or Instagram. Send us the receipts. But um, yeah, I think there was just, and I'm liking the fact that she seems to be getting a resurgence. Like people are starting to come back and be like, oh no, Anne Hathaway's fine. Yeah, I, I remember reading like an article a long time ago, probably on like Gawker or something before Gawker was defunct. Like that basically a lot of the hate towards 
towards her just sort of had to do with patriarchal brainwashing more or less. But yeah, I've, I, I think that I, I almost think that like the turnaround for her was Ocean's 8. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, because her character in that is such a fun turnaround. Yeah, I think it was kind of how sort of echoed, I think, what we might have seen her do in real life, which is have one image that people were very happy to uphold until Mm -hmm. she takes control. And she's like, yeah, no. And I think, you know, she had a lot going on with like trying to sort of break out almost having to do what like any other female Disney star has to do, which is like sort of break out of the cookie cutter Disney box that you get put into, which is crazy to think Mm -hmm. that like she was even, she would even have to deal with that given that it's, it's, she wasn't like Miley Cyrus who was on a whole show for years and years. Like she was in one movie, but I guess since that was our introduction to her, that's sort of how she was viewed. Cause I remember going to see like Brokeback Mountain, with her in it, which was, I think, the first thing that I had seen with her after Princess Diaries. And I was like, oh, there are her boobs. Like, yeah, I guess she's a serious <laughs> actress now or something. Or rather, she's an adult because she was only 17 when she made the first Princess Diaries. Yeah. Well, and, and keep in mind, she also, though, she she also did Ella Enchanted, which I think also it wasn't a Disney oh, film. Oh, yeah, I forgot about but that. But it was also, you know, that same kind of princess vibe. I think Wholesome the first thing, fairy tale. Yeah. I, I think what I remember seeing her in the first time after all of that was Devil Wears Prada. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I so I think that was definitely in there. But if you're looking for an interesting one with her where she's playing a very different kind of character, uh, Rachel getting married is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to see that and I never did. But yeah, I, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I'm digging in now to how actors, especially when they were famous as kids, have reestablished their careers. So for like another big movie that's in the headlines right now is Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Oh, yeah. Um, With Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al. And I will tell you, I have always loved Daniel Radcliffe. He was uh, mi novio ideal for a Spanish project about my ideal boyfriend. (laughs) <laughs> and uh in in seventh grade and the the love has not gone away at all uh, in fact i think it's only intensified based off of some of his choices after harry potter oh, yeah. <laughs> because he looked at the world and was like i am going to do the world's weirdest movies now yes. <laughs> so he has such a good and interesting film career um, he really does have you seen like swiss army man i have not seen swiss army man it is a weird one it's by daniels which is the the two men named Daniel who also directed everything everywhere all at once, which is now available for free on prime. Please watch it. Well, so Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe are two men who get stranded on Island, except Daniel Radcliffe does not survive. And so the rest of the movie is Paul Dano figuring out that Daniel Radcliffe's corpse is very useful and very versatile in lots of ways, as well as keeps farting because what happens when the body dies, all of the air in the body has to come out somehow. So Daniel Radcliffe went from being Harry Potter to doing a movie where he infiltrates a neo-Nazi group that I've seen before. He did a couple of rom-coms and then he uh, just played a, a dead body that farts a lot that Paul Dano eventually rides like a jet ski. And that's not a euphemism. He rides the body like a jet ski to get off the island. <laughs> Yeah, that was like a movie I definitely wanted to see and then just never did because of my movie laziness. Yeah, it happens. But yeah, so Daniel Radcliffe's career is fascinating to watch and it is, I'm very excited for the Weird Al biopic. Um, Very, 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 very excited. Me too. It looks so good. So, but Anne Hathaway and her career, I mean, you're right. We got her 
out of the princess box. Um, she was, you know, Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises. I don't care what people say. She was fantastic in that role. The movie just sucked. And then she was like, she had her like her her Oscar moment for Les Mis. And actually she had an Oscar moment for Rachel getting married. I believe she was up for a Best Actress Award for it. And, you know, she made some rom-coms and I'm just glad to see that she's coming back. I, I have not watched the We Work miniseries that they put together on Apple, mostly because I just, uh, I can only tolerate Jared Leto for a movie. I can't do him for a whole miniseries. Yeah, I was going to say, but also I was like, "Eh, that didn't really interest me that much. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting a little tired of all of these. Oh, did they make a terrible blunder or defraud millions of people? Like, oh, cool. Let's make a miniseries out of them. However, after reading about the wing going under this past month and how the wing just sort of shut down everything after making some really awful or intersectional feminism um, decisions. I want to, I want a mini series or at least a documentary on that. Yeah, that was, I, I kind of caught on to that during, I want to say like during the height of the pandemic. Um, Cause I had heard of the wing before, like I followed them on social media. I thought like, Oh, this is so cool. And then sort of like during that year, as I was sort of learning to look at things with sort of a more critical lens and sort of a different lens, I'm like, Oh yeah, they are kind of expensive for like a company that wants to be inclusive. Like how would poor or lower income women who are women that are, you know, primarily black and Brown, not always, mm-hmm. but like, how would those women about to be included in the wing and their concepts but I didn't know it it actually finally crashed and burned I I remember hearing about it and I think one of the things that's interesting is that I think it spurred some new things that are coming out um I want to plug at this moment women employed is starting up an innovation hub for entrepreneurs who lack the resources that would get them a membership to something like the wing so I've been working on the liaison for the advocacy advocacy council on their board of directors now. So I will be probably pitching that a lot more in the episodes to come as we get more information about it. So that's really exciting. Hopefully the wing can get out of the way so other things can take flight. I'm really excited for Wee's entrepreneurial hub. And I tweeted about it and then I got asked if uh, they could use my tweet. It's nice that they asked you if you could use if they could use, they could use your tweet. They never ask me. <laughs> <laughs> they like whatever. It's Kate. Oh, you've been with us six years. We know you're good. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I do want to talk also, and this is a great segue intersectionality um, when it comes to Prince Princess Diaries, because it's a pretty lily white cast. You get Sandra Oh as the vice principal of the school. God, I um, love her. And I love her so much. She is so good. And you just, uh, anyway, um, you get her. I think you get like one black woman who plays a music teacher, but for the most part, it's a very white cast. But we do see a little bit of a difference and we don't usually get to see this. And I read this this morning when we're prepping for this podcast that technically it was not scripted. So there's a very sweet moment between Queen Clarice and her bodyguard, Joe, Mm -hmm. where they're dancing. And I guess Julie Andrews and Hector Elizondo have been friends for a long time. And so when they're making the movie, they had this scene where they were dancing together and they just had this chemistry that they decided to turn it into something. And I guess what had happened was that Julie and Hector had been talking about how important it was to them for there to be some kind of love story involving people who were older in age. That it was important to show that even after you've lost a spouse 
or even after you have gotten out of the um, what society deems as the typical time to be dating, that there is still an ability to find love and connection with another human being. So I really, I remember thinking like as a kid, like, oh, it's so cute. Um, but it's really cool that they were very conscious of that when they're making it. And I think it's interesting also that they had a fairly young writer on the project when they made it and that it took two actors with a little bit more experience under their belts to be able to, to say, hey, let's throw this in just to add this little bit of depth. So there's more, you know, that we bring in, you know, a different age as well. Yeah. And that's like a, uh, a story that gets continued into the second movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm unfortunately, though, my favorite love story of, well, not my favorite love story, but the key love story of the first movie doesn't get carried over to the second because Michael's on tour, which is the best way of saying Robert Schwartzman's too busy with his band. <laughs> to be in this movie his band Rooney his band Rooney and Robert Schwartzman it should be noted is the brother of Jason Schwartzman who is one of my favorites to watch and also uh Robert Schwartzman is part of what I like to think of as Hollywood's most regal royal family which is the Coppola's is it Coppola or Coppola I don't know I don't either I I minored in Italian I should be able to tell you I like pizza. <laughs> I believe it's fr- <laughs> in Italian. I think it would be pronounced Coppola. I'll make sure the next time I'm in Italy, I'll, I'll yeah. say Coppola. Ask someone to pronounce Coppola. I think it's Coppola. Yeah. But yeah, um, uh, so Robert Schwartzman, he's the brother of Jason Schwartzman. He's also cousins with Nick Cage and cousins with Sofia Coppola. He's he's part of, and you know, we're talking about royals and everything. Uh, I really do believe that the Coppola is the, the premier Hollywood royal family. Oh yeah, they're everywhere. And like, you know, even, even when you don't realize that they're there, like if a Schwartzman or a Cage is in the movie. As much as Nicolas Cage never wanted anyone to know. Yeah, and there are, you know, plenty of Coppola's, Coppola's behind the scenes producing, you know, directing that we don't necessarily you know see on screen or know them mm-hmm. by name yeah and i mean like the, the family looks out for their own right i mean robert schwartzman was actually in the virgin suicides um as one of the the boys involved uh oh, yeah. paul maldino yeah so yeah they definitely they they bring their own in no wonder nicholas cage doesn't want anyone to know yeah especially because he got he asked for a role and was told summarily no <laughs> <laughs> well and this is you know, kind of speaking to bringing, you know, your own in, I guess, like, this is a Gary Marshall movie. Gary Marshall has like a bunch of actors that he loves to work with and mm-hmm. that are sort of character actors. And you see them in this movie, you know, you see them in movies like Runaway Bride or Pretty mm-hmm. Woman. Um, well, like- including his sister. He and his sister are guests at the Genovia Independence Day Ball at the end. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. But yeah, like Hector Elizondo was in Pretty Woman. Larry Miller has been in a bunch of different roles in his movies. And there's some other I like people that I recognize like by face. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Larry Miller was the dad in 10 Things I Hate About You to bring it back to our first episode. And yes, thank you for that, because I do remember him as the stylist who comes in and calls her eyebrows Frida and Kaolo. And I remember watching this movie with my parents and they lost it at that. 
<laughs> and I had no clue why, because I was 10. So <laughs> that was the joke they got him. That was the why well, it was one of the many jokes. My parents really enjoyed this movie too. Also, side note, so speaking of, you know, the actors that we maybe recognize by face but don't really know their names in the movie. So I feel like there are three guys that were kind of like, you know, the dream boats of the movie. So obviously you had Eric Von Detten. Mm-hmm. And then you had uh, Robert Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. And th- and then you had that red-haired guy that like hangs around the group all the time doing magic tricks. And I know his character's name was Jeremiah. I don't know the actor's Patrick name. Patrick John Fluger. Okay. Yeah. I always thought he was such a babe. I love Well, and so did the Chicago BD- PD universe because that's what he's doing now. Shut up. No way. Yeah, okay. he plays Adam Ruzik on Chicago PD. So you might run into him because they're always around here. Yeah, I could have. um, Like back in the spring, they were literally filming in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That's wild. What else has he been in? Uh, He was in the uh, remake of of Footloose that we don't talk about. Yeah, not going to see that. Uh, He was in Chicago Fire because of the crossover episodes, you know. Yeah, (laughs) if you're in one, you're in all of them. Kind of like we talked about with uh, Law & Order, having a whole bunch of actors, including Heather Matarazzo, who played two different characters in two episodes of Law & Order. Also note that Heather Matarazzo gets this every time Stranger Things comes out. She is not related to Gatton Matarazzo, who plays Dustin in the series. Even though his mother's name is Heather, completely different Heather Matarazzo. Yeah, not his mom, his sister, his cousin, his aunt, his anyone. Not related. Nope. No, uh, so Princess Diaries was his first uh, thing. Um, and then he was in an episode of CSI Miami. And I think he just pretty much just moved through the uh, network TV uh, circuit before he landed his big gig over at, at Chicago yeah. PD. Yeah, he was a babe. He was the guy that I liked in the movie. Isn't he also part of Lily's cable tv show yeah he like he ends up guest starring because it's like an episode that mia is supposed to be on and she dishes to um be at the beach party with where everything goes heinously wrong and it's a total comment on our tabloids yeah which hasn't gotten better but like i mean nowadays you know like somebody would have posted that on the gram and you know then it would have like gone viral and I think that would be a fascinating conversation to have is how this how the story would be different had Instagram and Twitter existed. Yeah. Well, you know, like part of it would have been like Mia has like three followers and then she like bumps up to like millions of followers after it comes out that she's a princess. Well, Um, it all depends on the Genovia press presence, though, right? Because like there's a whole thing about how most people don't know this country even exists. Oh, Um, yeah. You know, and so I almost think it's like, yeah, maybe the people of Genovia, however many there are, would follow her. But like for the most part at school, like even people are like, oh, well, what, what what's Genovia again? Where is that again? It'd probably be like a bigger story though, because it'd be like, oh, and like I was saying before, like this sort of seems like a dream come true, an American girl, just a typical girl finding mm, out that mm-hmm. she's a princess. I mean, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it and I'm saying it, all we have to do is look at Meghan Markle's experiences. Yes. More or less. I mean, she was already an actress and well-known, so it's a little bit different, but. Yeah, and of course there's also, differences based off of racial appearance right so Mm -hmm. we know the bullshit she has had and has to face um especially right now in 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 
the UK with their tabloid situation. Um, yeah. As someone put it, the, the press is just waiting to find a way they can blame Meghan Markle for the death of a 96-year-old woman. And sure yes. enough, they've already started. Don't worry. God, that's wild. Oh, I did want to take it back, though, really quick, because we were talking about the beach party scene that happens in the first princess diaries you know how like that whole thing where uh like eric von denton's character kind of just asks her out in order to like trick her Mm -hmm. that sort of uh was a huge fear of mine in high school that if a popular boy ever talked to me or flirted with me or asked me out that he would actually be trying to trick me well it was sort of a trope in a lot of pop culture we were consuming as kids. That's true. Like it happened a couple of different times and stuff. I'm thinking about it because I'm like, yeah, like she's all that. Yeah. Big one. I mean, later on, you know, because I don't think I, I was definitely not watching Cruel Intentions later, but Cruel Intentions. Oh, yeah. Cruel Intentions was the first rated R movie I ever saw. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think mine, well, I don't remember what my, I think mine was Psycho, the, which the, was technically the original, the original, the original Psycho, I think was my first R rated movie. Yeah. That's different than Cruel Intentions. I had to go home. A little bit. Like, I had a lot of things to think about after I saw that movie. <laughs> I was 12. <laughs> Oh um, my goodness. So um, next episode, we are going to talk Princess Diaries 2 in depth. And maybe if the Don't Worry Darling press tour continues the way it does, we will have even more information to inject about Chris Pine. Um, but we can also talk about Callum Blue and how, I'm sorry, but the person they set her up to marry, he was pretty damn fine too. He uh, was. He was sweet. He was a sweetheart. And- he was a sweetheart and he got it. He understood and he wasn't an asshole. Exactly. Also, Harry Styles did not spit on Chris Pine. Everyone who thinks that is insane. It took me a minute, though. It took me a minute to figure out what actually had happened. But yes, I agree. Chris Pine did not spit on, on, or sorry, Harry Styles did not spit on Chris Pine. Yeah, Chris Pine did also not spit on Harry Styles. That we know of. Yeah. I mean... Whatever happens behind closed doors that's consensual, I mean, I'm not going to judge. From from what I could tell, it Venice in that moment, no spit. No. But I am so glad that we got to talk a little bit about Princess Diaries. I wish we had the rights so that we could leave on what my favorite part of Princess Diaries was, which was the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, I, somewhere in a box in my parents' basement, there is my CD of the Princess Diaries soundtrack, which starts off with Crystal Harris's Supergirl. And that, that- was like my jam yeah that was such a bop in like the early 2000s i've also since we decided we were gonna watch this or talk about this movie i've been singing miracles happen once in a while yeah that's been going on in my head oh my goodness that whole that whole soundtrack was fantastic unfortunately you cannot listen to the princess diary soundtrack on spotify however Ah. you do get the three g's crush um, you get BB Mac. It is like it is a BB Mac. Oh, <laughs> it is a gorgeous time capsule. Yeah, you can only listen to Miracles Happen by Myra on that and Wake Up by Hanson. That was how I discovered Hanson. But okay. that whole soundtrack I listen to all the time. Um, especially what makes you different makes me beautiful by Backstreet Boys. Oh my god, this okay. I'm looking at the soundtrack list too on Wikipedia right now. And this is just like a golden deep cut of pop bands of like the late 90s, early 2000s, like Eric Carter, BB Mac, Nobody's Angel, Youngstown, mm-hmm. Hanson, Bewitched, like holy shit, A-teens. 
Well, and of course, Mandy Moore, when she had her career yeah. at that time, you know, she's in the movie and then she also does a, a cover of Stup- Stupid Cupid. So yeah, it, it's, that was in rotation for a long time. Oh my God. The Princess Diaries 2 soundtrack is amazing too. Kelly Clarkson. Oh, we will definitely be talking about that because that CD is in the same box. Lindsay Lohan, Pink, Christy Carlson, Romano. I forgot she had like a brief brief thing with the, the recording contract like pretty much anyone on disney channel yeah that's kind of that's kind of what you do well yeah just everyone um right after you close out this podcast go listen to um supergirl and have yourself a little dance party and <laughs> then if you haven't already follow us on social media we are on instagram and twitter at sp cinema club well thanks katie we'll see you next week yeah see you guys see you guys